0: we are uh, this week starting a brand new sermon series. You see it up here behind me. It is called Local Church. And the reason there is a period after local and after church is because we are a church, the church of Jesus. There is, how many churches are there in Bowling Green? One. one. Good job. You're learning. We're getting there. There is one church. Jesus doesn't have 20,000 denominations. Jesus doesn't have 50,000 expressions of his. Jesus has one church, and we are part of that church, and while we are covenant church, we're part of one church. We're the church of Jesus, okay? So we are the church, but the thing we sometimes forget because we get caught up in the news, we get caught up in social media, we get caught up in trends, we are the local church. God has birthed us into this place to do work for these people that he has called us to, meaning these are our people. This is our place. We are local. So before we care about what's happening all the way around the world, we got to get to caring about what's happening in front of us because we are the church and God didn't put us here so that we could impact there before we impacted here. Are we making any sense? That's why it's called local church. That has nothing to do with the sermon itself today. I just wanted to say that. I'll say it every week. We're the local church. If we don't make the impact here, no one will. Because people from Iowa aren't driving here on a mission trip. People from Ukraine, they don't know what your problems are. People in Africa, it, we are the local church. Okay. This is your annual invitation to activation. We do this every year around this time. You'll notice if you go back through the years, every year we do this activation invitation where we say it's time to get involved. And it's not a coincidence why we do it, when we do it. Thanksgiving is coming, Christmas is coming. These are the seasons of life where we tend to go inward. Because we're hosting people, and we're making turkeys, and we're buying gifts, and it's all about, it's kind of all about, I got to keep my life sorted out, and I got to get rid of all the hassles, and it's getting really busy, and things are getting hectic, and our job here as a a community is to challenge each other. When things are really easy to go inward, it's our time to push outward again. When the world is going to say, take care of yours, have your family in, just relax, kick your feet up, turn on the fire, it's fine. We're going to say, actually, maybe let's join with some people and get to work. We're going to invite you to join Jesus on the road today. I'm not going to give you any more information about him. We're going to let him tell his own story. Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Three people in our story here want to follow Jesus. Three people want to activate for him, to follow him. Three people are invited into the kingdom-building work of Christ. Jesus pushes back a bit. So so what you need to know and understand is where he's been. Jesus has been doing some things. Just in chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus has fed 5,000 people. Minor miracle, because he didn't have much to go on. Then Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. And I don't know the last time you were in the room when someone healed a demon-possessed boy, but people usually go and talk about that afterwards. And so there's 5,000 people who got miraculously fed, and then there's this family whose boy was demon-possessed and is now healed, and the people are talking. The word is getting out. Jesus is, his renown is growing. And people are saying, there is something about this guy. I got to be a part of this thing. Word is spreading. And Jesus begins to tap the brakes a little bit. He wants them to know the cost of what they're signing up for. And what we're going to see today is there's both a cost and an urgency to following Christ. Because he's preaching this kingdom of heaven, which can be confusing for us. It had to be confusing for them. He's saying, I'm bringing a new way. I'm establishing a whole new thing. A new regime is coming. And this has people fired up in the time because, remember, the Jewish people are an oppressed people. Israel is is occupied. Rome is there and they're oppressed. They are not their own. And they would love nothing more than overthrow. They'd love nothing more than a new king. And so they're excited. Hey, let's get God's people back in charge around here. And so some are finding him for those reasons. Others are finding him through spiritual ideas. Some people, I mean, people are finding Jesus in all these different ways because the word is out that he's here to make change. So he gets approached. The man says, I'll follow you wherever you go. This is an idealist's statement. I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus enlightens him that following him means joining a new kingdom, not changing the brand of detergent you use. Which, we think about this, and we go, well, it seems like he knew what he was getting into. I'll follow you wherever you go. Seems like a pretty strong statement. I mean, I do premarital counseling from time to time. We always ask the same questions. I have the same form that comes through. And one of the questions is, um, do you think you'll be as romantically attracted to your partner as you are right now, forever? And everybody goes, oh yeah, 100%. And everybody who's been married for a while goes, well, okay. (laughs) Good luck. Oh, do you think your romance is going to fade? Do you think the fire is going to die? Do you think and people go, no, no, I'm in. And so there's an idealism to marriage, right? And it doesn't mean, like, they're all going to fail. It doesn't mean that if it failed, it's something wrong with you. It means that, like, it's hard. And, and people will stand up in a marriage, and they go, I'm pledging to you forever. And they name all the ways that they're going to pledge, rich or poor, sick or health, all the things. And then real life hits, and people go, oof. I mean, I said it, and I meant it when I said it, but this is different than what I said, isn't it? Jesus is kind of having that moment right here, and he goes, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus goes, but will you? I don't think you'd know what you're signing up for. Jesus is showing himself to be the embodiment of the kingdom he brings. And so Jesus kind of points out the embodiment of the kingdom he brings is uh, itinerant homelessness, right? Are you sure you want to follow me? It's not really an Instagram fresh life here. Following me, Jesus says, means taking on life in the kingdom, and the kingdom is best seen in who I am, and I slept in a field last night, and I'm full of joy, but my stomach's empty. We get run out of town regularly. People are trying to kill me, and there's more people today that hate me than admire me, and that seems to be growing, so you sure you want to follow me? Is that what you're up for? And we don't get the response in the text, but that's going to give anybody a pause if you go, Yeah, yeah, I'm all in. You go, I don't know if you are. Like, I have a friend who's done um, every variation of new diet slash food slash, you know, the different things. There's so many things. So, this is somebody who has uh, been vegan, and then that was a lot. So, it was like, Well, I'll do pescatarian, and then, but maybe keto. And then that kind of like keto, paleo, does the same thing, minor differences. Then you have uh, Atkins because you're like, maybe if I just eat meat, isn't that sort of like paleo? Sort of. Then they go raw for a little bit and then like, I'm just doing raw food. And you're like, how's that ginger going? And then you go into Whole30, which is just the short-term version. Like I'm going to do a hard reset, Whole30, then back into what I was doing previously. What were you doing previously? Can't remember. So I'm going to try Mediterranean because I read this study and it sounds pretty good. Gluten-free, grain-free. This friend eventually becomes food-free, right? Because they just can't keep up. You all have this friend, apparently. There's one person in here who doesn't know who this is, and they're like, man, are they talking about me? (laughs) Yes. No. So this friend of mine, she sees a new concept, reads the blog post, and goes, I'm all in. And then the pantry gets cleared out, and the freezer is empty, and we're starting over. And then give it 30 days, give it 45 days, give it a couple months. I don't really know if I can do this. It's a lot. She sees the concept and says to the food idea, I will follow you wherever you go. She's excited about being excited. Does that make sense? She's interested because it's interesting. But living a whole life on Atkins for the rest of your life, like I like steak, but I think I'd get pretty sick of it. What Jesus is doing here is a little bit the same. He's rooting out the ability for someone to just hop on the bandwagon of his kingdom. And Jesus is trying to say, look, the bandwagon is, it's, we got plenty of room, but you need to know that it's a bumpy ride. So, so maybe get off now before you resent me a few miles down the road once you figure out what this really is. Jesus is doing um, actually merciful work here. The company Zappos, you guys ever heard of Zappos? Zappos was a big uh, internet shoe company for a long time. It got bought by Amazon they still exist, but I don't know why they exist. They had this famous uh, policy where a few weeks into your employment at Zappos, they would offer you $1,000 to quit. It was like two weeks into training, they go, we'll give you $1,000. They eventually upped it to $2,000. They got bought by Amazon. Amazon started doing it where they would offer you $5,000. You work there for a few weeks, you do your training, and at the end of training, they say, okay, we're going to pay you for all that you've done here, like training-wise, but also, if you'd like to leave today, we'll give you $2,000 cash. Why? They were paying people to quit so that they knew who was really with them. They're like, look, this isn't always going to be easy. This isn't everything you think it is. It's going to be hard, and we want you to be all in on this, or we actually just want you to be out. And we're going to incentivize you to be out so we know that you're not just here for the money, because if you're just here for the money, we don't want you here. We want you here for the mission, which was to make shoes cheap online or something. I don't know. I'll do this. I mean, imagine you're two weeks into training, and they go, here's thousands of dollars to leave. Wow. The genius of it is they're going, we just want you here for the right reasons. This is what Jesus is doing. He goes, I just want you here for the right reasons. This may not be what you're into. So let me help you out if you need to get out, because it's going to cost you. He says, oh, it's going to cost you, it's going to cost you, it's going to cost you. Right now, there's an ordinance before the city council in Bowling Green. Some of you know about this, others, this will be news to you. It was put forward pretty recently, uh, and it's adding new language to the protected classes. There's protected classes, race, gender. This is adding pregnant, breastfeeding, and uh, something about reproductive health preferences is in the language. Really, its um, I'm not a lawyer, we're not going to get into the weeds, I don't need to explain city law to you. The concerns are, from partners and friends and and lawyers who think about these things, the concerns are that this is a Trojan horse kind of tactic, where the language in here is pretty vague, but clear enough that it could really be used against against life, against um, our friends at Her Choice and The Nest who have clear pro-life mission statements. And it's possible that this language can really be used to harm them. And this is just sitting on the city council docket. It's been spoken to once. It's going to get read again. They're going to vote in mid-November. And there's a real challenge because on one hand, it's, it's just words on a page. But on the other hand, it represents something real. Tiffany and Rochelle, who lead the Nest and her choice respectively, have been really clear about this. This ordinance does threaten their mission and their ability to provide the services that they do to, to vulnerable women around town. And they've said, we, we need your help. We, individually in the church, but today I'm going to ask you collectively, we've stepped up in this, not because we want to pick a political fight, but because we have a, we have a belief about what life is about. Our church statement of faith says it this way. If you're a member here, you've signed this, you've read this, you've signed this. The church believes that all human life is sacred and created by God in his image, Human life is of inestimable worth in all its dimensions, including preborn babies, the age, the physically or mentally challenged, and every other stage or condition from conception through natural death. The church is therefore called to defend, protect, and value all human life beginning at conception. That's what we believe as a church, as Covenant Church. And so, what we've been doing is um, quietly rallying support. With friends at Dayspring are hosting meetings. We're going to tell you about that in a minute. We have, we're, we're quietly rallying support because we believe in life, and if this thing threatens life, we're not into that. Like, Her Choice offers warm support, free sonogram, and counseling options for women who are faced with an unplanned pregnancy. The Nest then stands behind them with free childcare, so that a woman can choose to keep her baby and her job or her studies, basically to keep her life and have her baby. The opponents of these ministries call this manipulation. And this is like just facts are facts. Pregnancy centers, like her choice throughout the country, are targeted by opposition groups who say they're manipulative because they um, invite a woman to have a sonogram and see the baby. And if the woman wants to have an abortion, she shouldn't have to look at her baby. She should just be able to have it. And we go, that's not manipulation. That's called Mercy. It's hopeful mercy for a mother to give her the clarity of what she's going into so that she might live the clarity of her choice, that she might not have regrets down the line, that she might have uh, the, the most facts possible to go through whatever she's going through. But this ordinance sits there, and if it can shut down services, if it can slow down services, if it can get things bogged down in the courts, it threatens the ability for them to do their ministry. And we are aligned with their ministry, so that becomes an issue for us. But here's the deal. Opposing it and activating against it has a cost. Like on the very smallest scale, it's going to cost you your time. You're going to have to be informed. You might get asked to go to a meeting. You might get asked to go to city council. It might cost you more than that, though. It might cost you relationships. Because that person who you work with heard that you were there. And all of a sudden, we don't see eye to eye on this. That neighbor... That neighbor sees you there, and they're on the other side of an issue, and they go, I don't think we're going to be friends much longer. So it's, it's not just relational, but it's reputational. Some of you own businesses. Some of you work places that are pretty opposed to the things you believe. And you being out about the thing you believe might just create some consternation where you are. Your neighbors have the narrative that pro-life is backwards, regressive, and anti-woman, So our friends, women-led organizations, challenged the women of Bowling Green who believe in life to show up. So we had over 100 women who counted the costs, who activated, who showed up, who spoke up, and at the last city council meeting made clear what was right. We're going to invite you to do it again at the next meeting. I believe it's on the 7th. We don't know where it is yet. So here's the thing we'd want to do in between. You want to be involved. There's a meeting at Dayspring coming up on the 3rd. There it is you know where Dayspring Church is, it's on 25, you go around the back of the church, you park, there's a big sign that says Family Life Center, you walk straight in, you'll know where to go. Last time, I don't know how many people, 100 people, 200 people were there. To understand more about what was happening, to figure out how can I be involved, and they said, if you're a man, we're glad you're here, we don't want you at that meeting. We don't want you at city council. Go write a note to your ward person, go write a note to your city council person, go write write an email, go schedule a meeting, go make your voice heard, but we need women to stand up for women. And so they did. And people throughout this community did. So you're invited. That's there. If you'd like to go and be activated in that one issue, you can be activated. It's a real-life example of what we're talking about today. That's why I spent so much time on it. It's a real-life example of what we're talking about today. There is an invitation in front of us. There's a cost associated, and you are asked if you want to get involved. And some of you will go, that's a conversation that seems more nuanced. And you go, actually, that's what it's all about is the nuance. That's what we're into is the nuance. That's what we want to talk through is the nuance. And you may say, I need, I got to figure out a new way. That's not for me. I don't know. I'm kind of weird about this and I need this other side of it. And you go, you know what the nest started as? It started because there was a hole in the missional world in our city where women who chose to have their babies were then forced to make other choices that that didn't quite seem fair. And so Tiffany says, we're going to start a thing so those women are covered. And you may go, I think there's still a missing spot for women here. Maybe today's the day that you start that ministry. And then next year when we put all these partners up here, you're one of them because you said, I think God's calling me to to fill in a gap. We're into it. It's an invitation that comes with a cost. Sanctity of life is is an issue we talk. When we say that, we think abortion. But there's other ways it's going to show up. Do you know that uh, a doctor, physician-assisted suicide is legal in Canada? Do you know this? It is. Last year, Canada euthanized 10,000 human beings. It's not in the news. You didn't see it. You don't know anything about it. What? 10,000 human beings were euthanized in Canada, which is a little slippery, a little tough. And it's getting real loose real fast. They have all these regulations to make sure it's safe. It got real loose. People with mental health concerns have reported being invited to consider it. They're not asking, is this an option for me? They're being asked, would you consider it? Would you want to? Are you feeling low enough that you might want to consider euthanasia? as an option for your mental health. That's a good solution. Guess what? Canada is usually a few years ahead of us in America on uh, social issues. We usually see things happen there, and then we see them here five, ten years later. So it's coming. And then we'll stand up for that too. Because our sanctity of life statement is about till natural death. It will cost you. God may put another issue on your heart today. It will cost you. It'll cost you to stand up for her choice and the nest and for women and for life. It will cost you to sign up with Global Connections or Water for Ishmael, for internationals and immigrants and outsiders. It'll cost you to align with BG Christian Academy and fight for Christian schooling. It'll cost you to join up with Keep Watch or LifeWise and see what it's like to go into local schools to pray for them, to support them, and to try to get the gospel back into them. It'll cost you to align with crew and Young Life to reach the next generation more distracted than ever to reach them with the gospel. It'll cost you to join Habitat for Humanity to build lives and share Christ through local home ownership. It'll cost you to join up with Raceway Ministries, which was just brought here last year, which attempts to engage the folks who come with the tractor pull and all the 60,000 people who show up to a pretty godless encampment and instead... Insert God into the conversation. It'll cost you to join up with Open Table and get into the relational depths with the folks who are in need of real family to walk through life with. Next week, we'll tell you it's going to cost you to be a part of Open Homes, to be part of the foster and adoption journey. It'll cost you to partner with Kids Count Two and help provide Christmas for hundreds of foster kids around our area. It's going to cost you. And dozens of other passions you brought in here that we don't have represented as ministries that we support financially or otherwise. Those ministries cost you. And why do you do them? Because it's worth the cost. So you're being invited to consider the cost and then lean into it. God is inviting you into deeper partnership in the gospel with thousands of different avenues that are available to you. And here's the thing. I said the, the, the idealist has a, I'll go where I'll follow you wherever you go. And the scope of what God is inviting us into seems to topple the idealist. The idealist goes, this is bigger than I thought, it's more than I bargained for. A lot of us think Jesus is just here to make me feel better. And he's inviting us into a kingdom that makes earth as it is in heaven, which is a lot bigger than you and me. So what you might think and what I might think is if he's toppling the idealist and what he needs, what Jesus needs more than anything, is a realist, a real pragmatist. That's who fits better in the kingdom, right? Hey, look, remember that thing we read about the Bible? The next two people approached by Jesus are realists, aren't they? The first one, he says, follow me. And he goes, yeah, I would, but let me go bury my father. Let me, I got some practical concerns. Can I just take care of those? I'm not an idealist. Take my time. Just let me take care of this. The other one, he says, follow me. And he says, let me, let me just go and say goodbye to my family. I will, but listen, I've counted the costs. I need to say goodbye to my family. Here's where Jesus says, not only is there a cost involved, but there's an urgency too. So there's multiple things happening now. Your unconditional yes can't come until you have the cost. But then your unconditional yes requires an urgency. And so Jesus has them on both sides a little bit. Look, I was a, a missions pastor at my previous church for a nice long season. I had a lot of titles. That was one of my titles. And what my job was is to send people overseas to do mission work. And a lot of people went short term, a week here, two weeks there. But, but every year, a few people would come forward, and they wanted to move somewhere far away to do important Jesus work for some reason or another. And I would uh, I'd tell them a lot of hard things. I would try to dissuade them from going because there's a certain—I mean, it's hard enough to go in kind of with that idealist mindset. So I, I'd try to, like, you know, Help them count the costs, And what would happen is, no matter what I said, the idealists were idealists through and through, and they would fail to count the costs. And then two weeks after they landed in Thailand or Vietnam or, you know, Kenya or wherever they were, they'd call me and be like, hey, this is harder than I thought. I'd be like, well, you signed up for a year. It's been two weeks, so what do you want to do? And it would happen. Like every year, somebody would be like, I'm all in, I'm going, and they would go, and then they'd be like, I'm all out. This is hard. Come on back. Like a bottle rocket, they burn bright, but they burn out. This is the idealist. The realist, though, would come in and they would say, I've counted the cost. I've recounted it. I've actually set up six different accounts in my system to take care of these things. I would like to plan for every contingency. What about earthquakes? And you're like, well, I don't know if they have earthquakes there. They might. They might. And they kind of go through. I need earthquake insurance. I've got to raise money for that. And what would happen is the realist would come in and they would talk to me for a year and never actually activate. They'd have so many plans and preparations, they'd never actually go anywhere. So I have the bottle rockets that are burning bright, and then I have the realists, these people, and they never even lit the candle. The the wick is never even burning. It's just sitting there on the... It looks nice, though, but it, it never burned. Let's bring it closer to home. The idealists. Idealists say family road trip. Yeah! And then about 20 miles down the highway, you realize the car's out of gas, and you have a big presentation at work tomorrow, so maybe we should have planned this out better. The realist says, we will do a road trip in 2028 when the car is paid off and the kids are a certain age and the local bond yields are above 2% because that may be preferable for our, right? You, every, every couple, I'm going to make a, go ahead and make a a wild guess. Every couple has a realist and an idealist. Someone leans one way or the other. There's one of you that says, let's party. Oh, there's a party. Where's that at? And the other says, let's plan. Where's the plan for that party that you're talking about? Somebody says, I want to have someone over for dinner. That sounds fun. And the other one goes, okay, that sounds fun. And they immediately start working on the to-do list of things that must be done for these people to come to dinner. The man says to Jesus, let me go bury my father. I'll follow you, but first, but first, Jewish law and context on this is, is pretty clear. The man's father probably wasn't dead. He, what he's saying is I need to, um, I have responsibilities in my home. And until my father is gone, I'm responsible to, to that whole system. And so bury my father means when he's gone, I will then bury him. And once I've buried him, then by context in Jewish law, I'm now free to follow you. But I got to stay with him because I've kind of pledged to this, but I can't do this until I do that. And so it's a, it's a nuanced thing. The other says I'll follow first, but I need to square it away with my family. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, Jesus Christ cannot be your Savior and your King until you take off the but-firsts and if-onlys. I'll follow you, but first. I'll follow you, if only. It says, Jesus Christ cannot be your Savior and King until you take off the but first and the if onlys. If your yes comes with conditions, it's not a yes. Can I bring my sense of right and wrong, though, Jesus? Can I bring my preconceived ideas? Can I make sure my pet issues are the top priority? Can I just not say anything about this modern cultural thing that I feel conflicted on, but you seem clear on, but I feel conflicted? Can we just, can I follow you and sort that out otherwise? I would say this way, Jesus cannot be added to your life to make it better if his invitation is that you lose your life so he can make it new. We want Jesus as an additive portion to our life. He's like a potion that we add, and that makes us 4% better, 8% better, a little bit cleaner, a little bit cooler. We like that Jesus. That Jesus doesn't present himself in the Bible. Jesus cannot be added to your life to make it better if his invitation is that you lose your life so he can make it new. He doesn't say, I'm here to make it better. He says, I'm here so that you might die, lose your life, and in me have a new life. Jesus is not additive. He is transformative. Jesus won't be bent to your shape or conditions. He's not about helping you live your best life. He's about exchanging your life for his. So we have to move beyond half measures and good intentions. We approach Jesus Each of us individually think back. If you are a follower of Christ, remember how you approached him. Not spit shined and figured out. We approach Jesus bruised and broken. We are unsure. We're dressed in the ragged clothing of sin, and Jesus looks at us and offers us a robe of royalty. First moment. You're with me now. And we look at that, and too often we look at what he's offering us in this new life, this new self, this identity in him. We say, actually, could you just clean me up a little bit? Can you just mend my clothes? Can you just kind of dust me off? I just need you to get me back going for me. We dream too small. Jesus is here to transform us and restore us and to redeem the world. And we worry about the little things along the way, and he goes, I got that. Follow me. I got that. Jesus' kingdom is wild, earth shattering stuff, more beautiful than the most incredible dream of the idealist in the room. The idealist in here cannot conceive of the beauty and majesty of Jesus. He's got you. More than that, he has a detailed plan in motion for every single heart, more intricate than the wildest fantasy of the most pragmatic realist in the room. So if you're here and you need a little more time to prepare, God's got that. It's already written, it's already finished. It's already a victory. It's already a plan that's in place. It's already going. And you didn't do anything to set it in place. He's got you. The plan is in place. Jesus says, whatever you thought I was bringing, I have something better. And it will cost you. It'll cost you control. Eventually, if you're willing, it will cost you your life. But you only get there when you come unconditionally. When you say, Jesus, I am yours now and forever, whatever it takes. I want your kingdom to come on earth. That's what we're after. That's what these ministry partners are after. It's about bringing heaven to earth. It's not getting through earth so we can get to heaven. It's bringing heaven to earth. It's restoring things on earth. It's bringing justice to the people who are suffering. That's where we find that kingdom urgency. Jesus didn't say, hang with me, we'll get there eventually. He said, what's his prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How long do you have on earth? you have as much time as he says you have, because he's got the plan. What is your urgency while you're here? Because if, you're, if your attitude is, I will wait until tomorrow, okay. I'll follow you, if only I can di- I gotta sort some stuff. I'll follow you, but first let me clean this part up. And he goes, all right, maybe you don't want to follow me. Jesus's kingdom isn't a future vision, Jesus' kingdom isn't a future vision. We read kingdom of God, and we go, isn't that going to be great? And he goes, no, no. Jesus came to bring the kingdom. He installed the kingdom. He is the author of the kingdom, and he says the kingdom is happening now. The kingdom is not a future vision. It is a present promise, and it is fully active to those who believe and follow if you are ready to be in the kingdom of heaven today, you follow today, you activate today, and you are practicing and participating in a kingdom that is running parallel to this broken cultural kingdom that we live in. And you get to participate in something better that is overlapping, overtaking, overwhelming, overthrowing that kingdom with something more and more beautiful and more better. And you go, how do I have purpose in my life? Where is the meaning in my life? Why do I even wake up on a Tuesday afternoon? Why, what, what am I doing? Jesus says, bring heaven to earth, find a passion, find a hope, find a purpose, starts with me, and then let's get moving. We are invited to follow him today. You were invited today to make crooked things straight, to make broken things whole. Today, now on earth as it is in heaven, we, friends, are kingdom bringers. The invitation today is that we might get to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the clarity of your word, for the beauty of Jesus, for the sacrifice that he came to bring, for the invitation to follow. Thank you for the clarity that we can follow you, that we can make an impact today, that we can bring heaven here. Father, we pray in this moment that you would convict our hearts where we are unconvicted, that you would convince us where we're unconvinced that we were created to participate in your work. Father, you've wired each one of us up so differently and uniquely and beautifully. My prayer is that each one of us would find our place and our passion. Lord, that it would start with our followership of you, that you are the Lord, that you are the King, that we are in you completely. From there, Father, would you show us the way? Would you bless the desires of our hearts to chase you, would you bless and show favor to the plans we have to make you known, to bring hope and mercy, to bring grace. Father, let us be your hands and feet, starting now. Take away our hesitancies, take away our reluctance, take away our excuses. Father, give us the boldness to activate today lift these things up in your son's holy name. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon for our live Sunday service at 9 30, 11 a.m. or 11 a.m. online. Thanks for listening.